The beautiful culmination of the Joseph story in our first lesson shows us where human conflict and the divine plan converge. Joseph told his brothers, even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good. Joseph understood and had sure confidence that God's providential care enables us to love and forgive our enemies. God may even be in the process of today and using the wrath and division of human beings to bring about a new and greater good. The imagery of Psalm 133 celebrates the bounty of God's love, which is evident when a community is in harmony and love overflows like the oil of blessing flowing down over the head. I think those who attended the Summer of Love party here might see that as something they experience. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he speaks of his understanding that the Jewish rejection of Christ ultimately enabled God's overall plan of redemption. The Jewish rejection inspired the early church to reach out to the Gentiles, which then prompted the Jewish community to reconsider the teachings of Jesus and come back to the church. These three readings set the stage for the gospel reading, which begins with a discussion of food and ritual cleansing. The Jews had strong purity laws, and Jesus' disciples were lax in following them. Jesus makes a strong statement saying that it is not what enters the stomach that concerns him, but rather what exits the mouth in speech, because that is what reveals a person and is of most concern to God. This past week, we had a riveting example of words that revealed the truth of a person, and the words were deeply troubling. Our president, who holds a position which for many years has been that of a wise and consoling leader, turned sharply toward accusation, and we heard Donald Trump likening neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and members of the Ku Klux Klan to those who protested against them. It was a stunning revelation of his character and his words crossed a line that all people of faith must oppose. There is no other way to say this. What he said was wrong, and it played havoc with the memories of a searing history in which many died to eradicate great forces of evil from the world. There is no room for confusion. All people of faith, regardless of how one voted, must stand against such speech and such thinking. It raises specters that were beaten at great cost in both the Civil War and World War II. The president's words dishonor the past and they damage the future. They are cruel, divisive, and false, and as such, they grieve the Holy Spirit. At the heart of neo-Nazism, white supremacy, and the Ku Klux Klan is the will to exclude, to reject, to harm, and to eradicate. The memory of rejection is in most of our histories, and so we have a small sense of the great suffering such groups bring about. The rest of today's gospel tells of Jesus' encounter with a stranger, a foreign woman who asks for his help, and who, at first, is rejected. Jesus clearly saw his ministry and mission as serving his own people, the Jews, 
He has come to the district of Tyre and Sidon, now coastal port cities in Lebanon, having left Jerusalem and the continuous questioning of the scribes and Pharisees. According to Matthew's chronology, Jesus has just had the most serious confrontation he was to have with the organized Jewish leaders, calling them hypocrites who uphold tradition rather than the will of God. His time in Tyre and Sidon could be understood as time apart to meditate, to regroup, to rest before re-entering the arena. It's in this context that the Canaanite or Syrophoenician woman makes her appearance. She's not a Jew, she's a pagan, yet she addresses him with the Jewish acclamation, son of David. She asks him to have mercy on her for her daughter is tormented by a demon. Her daughter is divided and broken, and the woman begs for the psychological help of her child. Jesus' first response is silence. Then the disciples ask him to send her away because she has been following them and become an annoyance. Jesus tells her that he was sent only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but the woman implores, kneels before Jesus, and asks again for help. To this plea, Jesus answers, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. What happens next is what makes this story a pivotal one in the Gospels. The woman's response is masterful. She takes Jesus' metaphor and turns it to her own advantage. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Jesus is so impressed by her quick wit and easy humility that he changes his mind. He reassesses the situation and decides to do what she asks. It's important to note that this encounter marks a change of direction in Jesus' ministry, moving him into the Gentile world, the larger world beyond the confines of the Jewish people. The Gospel of Matthew proceeds from this point to the feeding of the 4,000 on a mountainside near the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and we may legitimately presume the eastern shore, which would place his nourishment of the multitude in Gentile lands. This persistent and wise Canaanite woman opened the door to the rest of the world. Now, what does this mean for us? The Canaanite woman was a stranger, a woman outside the covenant. Our human nature, as well as the legitimate caveats of childhood, seem to me most ill at ease with strangers. But part of our growth into the full stature of Christ is the acceptance of what may at first seem strange and unfamiliar to us. We learn much from the stranger. We learn about our world and about ourselves. We learn to stretch our understanding, and if we persist, we learn to accept the undesirable, frightening, and strange parts of ourselves. If we are to be whole, healed, merciful people, our task must be to exclude no one. All are part of the human family. All are part of us. This story also speaks of distractions and interruptions. As you recall, the Canaanite woman had become an irritation, a bother, a nuisance. The disciples wanted her to go away. Perhaps Jesus wished to be rid of her too. He and the disciples had much to think about, much to do, and little time. There's probably not one of us who cannot understand the tremendous need to be undisturbed. 
Whether it's work to be done, rest to be gained, prayer, or simply quiet we need, interruptions can become irritating and exhausting. It seems at times that one's whole day or week or even life is deferred while we answer other people's needs and agendas. C.S. Lewis once said that he so often felt distracted from his real work that he began to wonder if perhaps the distractions were the real work God intended. He wrote, what we call hindrances are really the raw material of the spiritual life, as if the fire should call the coal a hindrance. One might imagine a little young fire which had been getting on nicely with the sticks and paper, regarding it as a mere cruelty when the big lumps of coal were put on, never dreaming what a huge, steady glow, how far surpassing the present crackling infancy, the tender of the fire designed it when he stoked it. If we allow the possibility and can get beyond the sense of hindrance, the supposed disturbance to our search of God might become the means to a deeper faith. In the case of the Canaanite woman, her intrusion caused a major revision. Suddenly, a foreigner was moved from the periphery of concerns to a central place in the household of faith. Alfred North Whitehead developed a school of theology called process theology, which held that one essential attribute of God is that God is affected by temporal processes. It holds that while God is eternal and immutable, God is affected by history. Today's gospel would seem to support that point of view. And this gospel tells us something of our interaction with God. When Jesus says to the Canaanite woman, it's not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, he was likening Jews to children and Gentiles to dogs. Many a Gentile would have been offended. The Canaanite woman did not take offense, nor did she react offensively. In effect, she rolled with the punch and, told, and took the metaphor even further, skillfully turning the image of a dog from a wild beast by the garbage heap to a friendly beast beneath the family table. She made herself by hook and by crook part of the family. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She demonstrated that she was not only capable of humility, but that she had a mind and a spirit to be reckoned with. Jesus was so impressed that he reversed his decision. When we use our intellectual skills and the capacity we have to their fullest extent in our relationship with God, God responds to us in new and surprising ways. Finally, this story tells us something about chutzpah and persistence. The Canaanite woman heard a clear no from God, but she would not take no for an answer. Some of you may have seen and heard Susan Bro, the mother of Heather Heyer, the young woman who was killed protesting the neo-Nazis in Charlottesville last week. Susan Bro is a woman of astonishing strength and chutzpah. She spoke to mourners and said, They tried to kill my child to shut her up. Well, guess what? You just magnified her. She challenged the people, saying, You make it happen. Find a way to make a difference in the world. I'd rather have my child. 
But if I have to give her up, by golly, we're going to make it count. She is a mother who seeks to turn tragedy into transformation. Ultimately, all of today's readings speak of transformation and trust. Joseph trusted God and allowed God to transform his hurt and anger into forgiveness and generosity. Paul spoke of turning a rejection into greater inclusivity. And our gospel spoke of Jesus' initial rejection of a determined and clever woman whose chutzpah helped him to see his mission to preach the gospel to all nations. These are lessons charged with energy, creativity, and change. And change. Jesus summarized the law as loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The Canaanite woman did just that. Let us resolve to do the same. Amen.